Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Marvin Liu, an experienced startup advisor and partner at 500 Startups, specializing in seed stage investments. Marvin shared his thoughts on how churn and retention affect his investment decisions, how he helps early stage startups identify their ideal customers, and why he thinks retention is super crucial for early stage growth. We also talked about why you shouldn't blindly follow benchmark metrics without enough context, areas that most startups get wrong when it comes to churn and retention, and the one question Marvin wishes entrepreneurs would ask more. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Marvin, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, for the listeners, Marvin is a partner in 500 Startups, and he's focused on the accelerator, seed fund, and investments they make. Uh, he's an experienced board member and advisor. He's helped over 25 companies on areas like marketing, new market entry, business development, sales management, and sales strategy. Prior to 500 Startups, Marvin also spent 10 years at Yahoo between 2001 and 2012, working in various sales and management roles, helping them scale their ad business across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So my first question for you, Marvin, is what drove you to make the switch from the startup and corporate world to becoming an investor and advisor? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I would say, Andrew, I, it was kind of luck. Um, I took two years off after I, I left Yahoo just to goof around and do some angel investing and just actually just honestly goof around. Um, and, you know, one of the, I ended up mentoring a lot of startup accelerators and one of them happened to be 500. So I got to know them over the last, you know, like probably over a year and a half, almost two years as a mentor. Um, and I guess they felt guilty for all the mentoring I did, <laughs> free mentoring I did for the companies, for their portfolio. They asked me to join them and help start their San Francisco office. And I know them for a while and I was interested, you know, sort of, interested in sort of the investing sort of space where I never, I always thought I'd end up going back into sort of the operating world and running accelerator was kind of an interesting compromise of you kind of, you get to invest, but you also get to sort of like operate sort of like a, you know, yeah. run something for a period of time too. And so that was a very good, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's definitely is a good intersection as well of having the best of both worlds in a way. Yeah, absolutely. 
So uh, it's interesting as well, then uh, you've been going at it for quite a while now. Uh, and I'm interested to hear your perspective on how you've seen the shift in the landscape when it comes to investments. And uh, have you noticed any specific changes maybe when it comes to like B2C versus the B2B SaaS space? Yeah. Um, I mean, this has changed. So like, I've been investing now. So I've been doing this now for close to almost six years. It'll be six years in February, 2020. And what is interesting is just how much the landscape has shifted. Um, you know, number one, the plethora of like new seed funds. So we're a pre-seed seed investor. There's just, I mean, there's literally like hundreds of new seed funds. So it's gotten more competitive. Um, I think the quality level of the founders have gotten gone up. And so it's also gone competitive over there. Um, every category is really, really crowded, it seems. Um, so there's very, you know, I would say that I, I can't say there's like a lot of new stuff under the sun, or at least if there is new stuff, there's just fast competition very, very quickly. Um, I've definitely seen a big shift from when I first started almost six years ago, it was mainly consumer related deal flow. And now it's really shifted over the last two to three years to really more on the business to business side. Um, and with SaaS being, you know, I would say a very, very common um, business model and, and which is good in some ways, right? But I, I, I would remind a lot of the, the listeners that just like SaaS is still a very, if you think about it as a business model, it's still relatively new. It's like, it's less than, you know, maybe 15 to 17 years old. Like it's a very relatively new business model. Absolutely. And it's, it feels as well, it's in its infancy at this point in time for people to innovate and build upon it as well. Like, uh, the, I don't think everything's been seen and done yet in the SaaS space in terms of how do you operate and build these businesses? Yeah, not, not at all. I, I still think it's very early days. But what is interesting in the SaaS space is that there, there is starting to, to be this like canon of, um, of, of knowledge, um, you know, between sort of Saster and SaaStock. And there's a lot of like, you know, a lot of VCs, there's a lot of deep experts in VCs in the VC world, as well as entrepreneurial world um, that are actually very open about sharing their knowledge. So that, that part's been, been great, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I can see that as well. It's a very, very open culture when it comes to sharing knowledge. And I think as a whole, it's really pushing the industry forward. Like you said, there's some really, really great examples out there. Um, so, I'm interested in taking a little bit step and bring in into the line with the, the podcast and the theme. What are some of the things you're looking at when you're making an investment and how important is churn and retention? I, I mean, churn and retention in the early stages, really, really important, right? So for me, where it's just like, it's a lot of investors talk about traction, you know, and, and traction means a lot of different things, right? It could be growth rate, it could be revenue, it could be size of user base, and I think these are all really important things, but I, I think churn retention is actually really, really crucial. So the way I think about this is I actually want to understand a, a startup founder's sort of like what their customer segmentation is, right? Like who do they think their, their ideal customer is? Um, and then based on that, and, and that's the ideal customer, ideal user, you know, I use those, those terms interchangeably. You know, then the next thing is just, I would rather see, you know, high retention, high, you know, sort of like a high conversion, high retention for that, that segment. And so the way I think about this is it's better to have, and I can't remember who said this, but it's like, it's better to have like a hundred sort of fanatical users or customers and like a thousand sort of like, you know, sort of like users or customers that mildly like you. Um, and so, so this is actually where the retention piece is actually really important, right? Absolutely. Uh, and then, so you mentioned the concept of the ideal customer profile or ideal customer user. Uh, and uh, I'm assuming as well, you advise a lot of companies at the early stage on this to really try to double down and figure that out. 
what are some of the things you work with the companies in the accelerator for them to try and identify? And because at, at the early stage, I think you don't really have the luxury of having hundreds or thousands of customers to be able yeah. to go and pinpoint and see what conversion or what retention looks like. So what are some of the things you're doing uh, with the companies? Like how can they try and figure out who this ideal customer profile should be at the early stage? So, so I think in the beginning, it starts with a hypothesis, right? You, know, you should have a general view on who you think the customer is going to be, you know, and, and sometimes it's like one or two customer segments, probably not more than that. And you start with a hypothesis. And then, then what we, we end up doing is, you know, depending on, and this obviously depends on if they've launched, you know, if they've launched the, the product already, they haven't launched a product. But if they've launched a product, I'd actually want to go and look at the customer base or look at the user base and dig in a little bit more to sort of find out like who the highly engaged, you know, sort of the fanatical users are, right? And, and what, you know, it's usually like, in, in some cases, it's pretty extreme where it's like 10% of your user base is going to drive like 90% of the usage, right? And that's something you see consistently. You know, it's usually the... Yeah. Pareto's law of 2080, and that's where you actually dig in a lot, you know, to sort of like understand who these folks are. So, for example, I was talking to one of my portfolio companies yesterday, and her hypothesis was that, you know, like, it, you know, it was, and her whole brand and everything was built around, hey, we're talking millennials, but I really went and dug in where I'm like, okay, well, who's actually giving you money, right? And found out it's actually 30 to 40 somethings, and I'm like, well that's the case. Like, let's dig in a little bit more. And so, so when we do stuff like that, it's just, it's, it's, you're acting like a sleuth, right? And so it's a lot of sort of phone calls and calling them up. It's a lot of surveys. Um, it's a lot of user testing. And so it's kind of a combination of like quantitative analysis with, with qualitative analysis and, and just like really over indexing on just having as many conversations with these, with, with the users and the non-users. Right. And, and I would almost segment into sort of like three areas, which is like, the, the people who are like the fanatical users, like you want to find out these are people who are paying you a lot of money or, or like heavy, heavy users of your product. And you want to learn as much as you possibly can about them, like what they like about the product, what they don't like about the product, who they are, why they're using this. And then you're having sort of very similar conversations with the people who come to your product, but bounce off. Right. And then, of course, it's also interesting talking to the people who like, you know, who actually don't ever would never use your product. And you, you sort of segment these in these three sections to sort of like better understand sort of like the customer, the overall user base and customer base. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. I think one thing uh, that you mentioned, and I think it's always one of the things like as a first time founder, uh, tend to sort of gravitate to trying to find this, the biggest market out there and really um, just say, yes, we're going after millennials, for example, and uh, there's millions of them. Yeah. But what's one other thing you always get advised is really just like nail down, pick a segment, focus, get a niche and build on that niche and then expand from there. My question to you though as well is like, okay, so you can segment, you can double down, you can focus. At what stage do you say that the market becomes too small then uh, and that you've segmented too much uh, and perhaps maybe this is not a viable place for you to start? Yeah, that's a great question, right? And this is, I think, where the art comes in. I, I would say... I would rather go, I'd rather start tackle the smallest segment possible, you know, as long as there's some clear adjacencies, like either the product that you're building potentially could have other use cases sort of beyond this customer segment, or there's some adjacent segments nearby that you can actually push into. And so this is actually where it sort of, it, it becomes a little bit more art versus science. And I also think that the minute you, 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 you know, you have to start thinking about the adjacencies once you probably hit like, you know, when, when you penetrate it to 60, 70, 80% of, of that, that narrow customer segment, that's probably when you start looking a little more deeply into sort of like other adjacencies you could push your product into. Um, and so 
art. It's total art, right? And I, I don't know if there's a, there, there is a, you know, I, I, I'm not sure there's an easy way sort of beyond that. Beyond that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of just figuring it out and having a feel for the market. And if you do have an opportunity where you can see expansion either uh, vertically or uh, at a wider audience, uh, similar, but in the same space, then you can go after it. So uh, we talked a little bit about retention uh, then, but I'd, I'd like to as well just go a little bit more deep when it comes to sort of the analysis. And uh, you said it totally depends as well, I think, on the stage of the company, but it's one of those key things that you're looking at to understand sort of uh, the traction that this company has. What are some of the key metrics when it comes to retention that you're looking at? Are you looking at user retention? You're looking at uh, revenue retention? Where does your focus lie at the early stage? And uh, uh, like, maybe some benchmarks you see for some uh, different industries as well. Yeah. So, so I mean, a lot of it is really, really dependent on the use case of the product. Right. So for example, um, you know, like not that I do a lot of gaming, but you know, gaming metrics are very, very different than say, for example, a CRM system, right. And are very, very different than say, like, you know, if you think about like a lot of the, the you know, if you think about the use case of most products in general, they're either entertainment driven or they're what I call like utility driven. Right. So like something like, um, you know, maybe not the best example, but like uh, Evernote, right. Like, or notion, like you probably use those like every day, right. Like, or theory, you should use those every day. Right. Versus say like, um, a gaming product, which is maybe like, it's maybe two or three times a week that you use it. Right. Um, so a lot of it is highly dependent on the use case. And so in general, um, you know, or, or like if you're social media, right. Um, you, you take a look at some of the stuff that's actually happening or like, I, I don't know anybody that, that checks that doesn't check Facebook or Instagram, like every single day or the use case for that, even though it's a, an entertainment product, it ends up becoming a utility product. Right. And a lot of the stuff is explained by like, you know, one of the still, I think one of the best books ever is like near a yells, um, um, you know, near a yell. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he's probably one of the best thinkers in sort of like, and he says this too, he just recently wrote a book on how to beat sort of like addictive products, but you know, like one of the best thinkers in sort of like how to make addictive products. And, and yeah. so I look at, I, I use a lot of those. I, I use that as a framework to sort of think about products and stuff. Yeah. And for the listeners, I think we had Nero on the show, probably episode five or six, uh, where he talked through a lot of uh, his framework and how that can be used as well to help improve general attention. Um, so uh, I, like, I, actually, when I asked you the question, it made me sick asking it because I think benchmarks is always one of those things that can be very, very, very misleading. Um, and it makes total sense as well what you're saying. It's really depending on the use case, the natural usage frequency of that use case. So you can't really uh, improve retention or if you're measuring against the wrong metrics. Uh, yeah, like, you know, there's this, there's an example of like, so for example, like 30-day, 90-day retention. Like I, I look at all these numbers, but they're, they're going to be very different depending on like the benchmark is going to be very different depending on the category they're in, depending on the use case. And, and so it's very dangerous. It just like a lot of people use like, oh, well, like this is like, I'm looking for like, you know, 40% sort of like, you know, custom, you know, sort of like user retention after like 30 days because that's sort of what like Pinterest had. Right. And I'm like, yeah, Pinterest yeah. and like, and it's, that's an amazing number, but like Pinterest, the use case of Pinterest is so different than a lot of like a lot of the products I look at. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been like a couple of products released now where they give like SaaS benchmarks uh, into churn and retention. And I think that's definitely like a message that people need to hear is that they can be very, very misleading and you really need to understand like how applicable they are to your business 
the, your use case, the natural frequency. And I'd even go far as saying like the stage of the company that you're at. And when you think about like concepts like crossing the chasm and your early adopters versus your early majority, um, your business is going to be looking totally different when it comes to churn and retention as well. Oh, to- totally, right? Like, I mean, at different stages, it's different. And so, you know, in the last six years, um, I've probably invested in over 400 companies through the accelerator or seed fund. And wow. so the sample set, like my sample set's like very, very large. And so this is one of those things that just like, especially like, you know, let's say B2B SaaS, it's just like when your churn rates even anything over three percent like every single month like you're bleeding like you're you're bleeding like a stuck pig right and so like yeah. that's where where I, I spend a lot of time like you cannot grow if you have like if you if you have a retention problem yeah uh, but saying that as well like i think when you think about b2b SaaS, because i'm thinking about a very specific case at Hotjar, i think we've publicly announced as well previously our churn figures. Uh, you do have within uh, our segment of users, there are a sort of core ICP, which we call ideal customer yeah. profile, where retention is absolutely amazing. Uh, where we even have like net negative churn. Um, yeah. But then as a whole, because we're an SMB focused uh, company where our ASP, like average selling price is around 60 to 70 euros, you tend to see uh, churn higher than the 3% as well. So uh, I yeah, think it, it varies, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. It really varies by the customer segment that, that you have, right? And a lot of times, yeah. what you'll find is that when you actually expand into a new customer segment, you're going to see churn just like skyrocket in that, that customer segment. And I've, yeah. I've seen that consistently, both in cons- on the consumer side as well as on the B2B side. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is one area, sort of, you're looking into trying to understand and analyze companies. Uh, retention is one area, like. When it comes to churn and retention and the companies that you work with and you've invested in, like, what are some of the mistakes you see them making? And like, uh, what are some of the areas where they, you think they could be improving on when it came to uh, churn and retention? And this could be, there's multiple different inputs. We discussed this before the show. They could be influencing it. Like, what are some of the bigger areas where they're making mistakes you think that's impacting the churn and retention? I, I think something very, very basic is, you know, like, you know, you know, I think this is whether it's relevant for sales or marketing, it's like managing expectations. I think a lot of times websites, like basic copywriting of websites, right? This is what you're going to get. Um, you know, this is, this is, these are results you can expect. Sometimes they're not very clear on websites. And so, or sometimes they're overselling. Um, I also think there's another big piece of the other part is just, I think targeting the wrong customer, um, like overselling and targeting the wrong customer tends to be very common. Um, and I also think sometimes the onboarding process is horrible and that actually drives a lot of, you know, that drives high churn rate as well too. Um, I also think that a lot of times there isn't enough of a, yeah, I mean, boy, there's just so, Andrew, there's so many reasons for like high churn. Yeah. <laughs> we could probably spend an hour talking about all the reasons, but I think even something that just like it's, it's managing expectations on sort of like what they're going to get. I do see onboarding as a big, big problem. And, and sort of, and lack of customer success where all the energy and effort is actually spent on actually bring them into the, into the product and using the product, but actually not like going back and double checking with them. So whether it's the customer care part, the customer success part, um, even some like what we call like, um, like a life cycle email, right? Like when somebody yeah. joins, like, you know, you know, are you just making sure and checking in, right? And this is all automated stuff, right? Like a lot of basic things you can actually do just to make sure like they're happy. 
Absolutely. And I'm really glad as well that you mentioned sort of uh, what I'm thinking about lately is like sort of the acquisition activation side of things, as opposed to more of like the engagement and resurrection strategies that companies typically look to. Because I think an analogy could be acquisition and activation. It's more like the AA, like you've got a problem, but at this stage, if you're talking about it, you can fix it. As opposed to when you're trying to sort of focus on engagement and resurrection strategies, it's more like when they're already in the ER. Uh, and uh, you, you at that stage, it's almost maybe too far gone. Uh, yeah. It's important, like focusing on that early stage, like who are you acquiring? Are they the right customers? And then are you helping them be successful during that activation period? Yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, it's activation and the onboarding piece, I actually think is the hardest piece to figure out. Yeah. Uh, so w- when it comes to this, I'm sure you've seen like quite a lot of companies now go through this process of maybe having no onboarding, having no activation strategy in place what are some of the things you would typically advise them work through where would you sell them to actually start like how would you get started with working on an onboarding strategy for a company you know in the beginning i I actually recommend folks like even like manually onboard them right or it's just there's like even even like literally and and i'm not joking like even it's like a five dollar order right like a five dollar month product like you know your first like 10 20 30 customers actually a lot of times I actually tell them like, just, you should just like even call them and just like manually onboarding, like do a walkthrough. And, and you're like, why would you do this? It's not a best use of time. I actually think it's incredibly valuable to sort of see like, you know, and even just watch how the customer is using the product. You know, are you describing the product in the right way? And that allows you to go and figure out sort of where to where and how to automate. Yeah, going back to basics. And I love that as well. I think you'd find a lot of interesting things that you might necessarily think of yourself. Uh, making so many assumptions because when you're building the product, you know the product better than anybody else and you make assumptions as well of how people understand and use your product too. So uh, handle yeah, it's, it's, it's the biggest mistake I think people make, right? Like I, and I also think a lot of the customers in the beginning users or customers like are like actually in most cases, welcome sort of like the, the very personal touch in the beginning, like not scalable at all. Totally, totally get yeah. that. The, the point is not necessarily about scaling this at, at this point in time. This point is about learning as much as you can and then figuring out where you can automate, what kind of process you have in place, messaging, like all the insights you get from doing this um, very, very early is incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Uh, and then you mentioned something now again uh, was messaging and how critical it is uh, in terms of positioning your product correctly, not over-promising, not overselling, and making sure there's an alignment between uh, what you see on your site and what your product delivers. Uh, what are some of the, the good companies uh, in this space doing? And like maybe if you want to give us one or two examples of a company that you think's really nailed their positioning uh, and uh, why? Um, so one, one of the, my portfolio companies is a company called Shippo. Um, they're an awesome team and, you know, they've been around now for close to five and a half years now. And, you know, like they're highly, highly focused on the SMB market. And so everything's about helping them sort of like, you know, like become, you know, get better margin, serve their customers better through sort of like managing their shipping, right. And getting better shipping rates for them. That's all they do. And they're super focused on that hyper, hyper focused on that. Yeah. And if you go to the websites, goshippo.com, I believe, like it's just like that messaging is just spot on. Granted, I haven't checked it for a couple months, right? So when I checked it a couple months ago, <laughs> I remember that being like really, really good sort of like very, 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 very good uh, positioning and messaging. Yeah. Uh, and, and what is it about it uh, that you think makes it really, really good? 
I think it's just simple. It's, I think too many companies just make their messaging super complicated, right? And, and in some cases, almost super technical. Like I like stuff where just like you read it and you're like, man, even my grandmother would understand this. It, it's, it's so basic, but it's just like so many people don't do the basic things. Yeah. Next thing I wanted to ask you then, and it's something I ask everybody on the show, uh, is let's imagine now um, you move on from 500 startups, you've been offered an unbelievable role at a new company. Uh, and when you join, you arrive and you see that churn and retention uh, is not great at all. And you've been asked and tasked to try and turn things around for the company. What would be some of the first things you'd want to do in the first three months to turn around and uh, show some results? I think uh, the first thing I do is actually segment out the different customers. So I'd actually want to understand who's staying. I don't want to understand who's churning out. Um, and, and I would say that's probably the first step. And then just do a lot of conversation, have a lot of conversations of just like, you know, like, why are you leaving? Right. Versus the, you know, the folks who are like, you know, why are you staying? And I'd want to understand are there significant differences in the different customer profiles or if they are the same, you know, like what's accounting for the difference difference right and and realize that that it seems very very simple but like there's a lot of it's that's probably a crap ton of conversations i'm gonna have to have to go and dig in right and then based on those conversations you're looking for patterns that sort of like show up over and over and over again and then once you sort of identify some of those problems that are causing them to churn you know maybe like i said maybe it's their different customer segments if they're not different customer segments they're the same sort of similar customer segments um, you know, then I'd probably want to dig into more on sort of like, all right, like, was there some difference in how they're onboarding the channels they came from? And so those kind of things would probably help me figure out what to do. The next step. So really just doubling down and trying to understand the customers that are successful and, uh, which ones, uh, and what they've done as well to help you inform decisions on the strategy. Yeah. And this stuff is simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. And it's time consuming as well. Like you say, like to sit down and actually have the conversations with customers. And so that's another thing then as well, speaking to these customers, what would be some of the questions you'd be asking them? You know, like, like really, really basic questions, right? Like, you know, why did you sign up for the product or for our service or whatever it is, wherever I'm working? Um, And, you know, like, why are you leaving? Why are you staying? You know, who, who are you going to, right? Like, you know, like, you know, clearly you joined, you signed up to, you know, for us to fix a problem. And now you're going somewhere else to get somebody else to go and fix this problem for you. Like, why did you do that? You know, what are they doing sort of like different or better than us? Um, you know, those kind of things, right? And, and what would make you come back? Like, if we were to fix, you know, if I was to fix one thing, like, what would that thing be to sort of make them come back? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, going back to basics, just really asking the straight to the point questions. Um, so uh, you mentioned as well that now you, between 500 startups and yourself, you've invested in over 400 companies. You've also advised uh, as well countless number of startups. What is one thing that you wish these companies or these entrepreneurs would ask, but they don't? Um, the one question they would ask, is that right? Yes, I ask for advice, and uh, but they don't. Um, I mean, the, the reality is I, I wish more, more, more startup founders were at least a little bit more honest about sort of like of really understanding their numbers. And, and the biggest thing for me is just like, I, I would just say like the biggest thing for, for entrepreneurs, like actually asking for help, right? And, and being very, very specific about that ask 
of like, I need help with like, in this case, churn or like, Hey, I need help identifying this specific, um, you know, like really, really being very specific about the problem that they want me to help them solve. I think a lot of times they ask me stuff that's a little bit too general where I'm like, okay, like tell me more. Right. Um, and yeah. so you sort of have to dig in, you have to act, you have to sort of almost act like a private investigator where you're, you're sort of trying to dig in sort of find out the truth. I, I think that's your question. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure if I've answered it, but I think that's your question. Um, and so there, there's just, and also sort of providing me the context around the question sometimes where they ask me this thing about fundraising, but maybe that's not necessarily the problem they need to solve, right? Yeah. Uh, and then what would you say is like uh, some of the things that you feel a lot of entrepreneurs miss when they come to you with a pitch? And uh, what would you say is like the biggest thing that you say that you wish more entrepreneurs would talk about in their pitches to you as well? The, the biggest thing is I, I think really the, the why now and the why the timing makes sense for what they're doing. Um, and I would say the second biggest thing is just sort of like why they're different and better than the competition. Um, and, and they always overlook this piece. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Marvin, I mean, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I see we're running up on time as well, but I want to do, just before we go, if there's any little bit of advice that you'd like to leave us with, or if there's any way that we can keep up to date with uh, what you're up to and uh, how the listeners can keep track, uh, please let us know now as well. Yeah, um, you know, I can be found at, on Twitter at, at Marvin Liao, L-I-A-O. So it's um, at M-A-R-V-I-N-L-I-A-O. Um, I'm pretty, I guess, relatively prolific um, on the VC Twitter, I yeah. guess, or more retweeting. Um, you know, I can, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to folks and happy to talk to any founders that I can be helpful with, um, with particularly in the pre-seed and seed stage. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Um, but the, I would say the one guiding advice I, I would say to most startup entrepreneurs are like, you know, over index in the early days on talking to an, as many potential customers and users as possible, um, over building, right? So talk to customers, yep. talk to potential customers, you're going to learn a lot. Absolutely. Well, I think that's excellent advice and it's a great way to end the show as well. Uh, so you can stop listening to this and start speaking to customers. Uh, Marvin, thank you so much for joining. It's been a pleasure having you and I wish you best of luck now going forward in the future. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.